Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Action Replay. We are live on DCUFM, twitch.tv slash DCUFM, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at DCUFM Sport. Uh, I'm joined as ever by Sean Crosby. Sean, how you doing? Not too bad. How are you? Uh, Sean Comer is back once again. Uh, how you doing, Breslin? And we're delighted to welcome back to the show as well, Aiden Kelly. Aiden, how you doing? All good. Thanks for having me on. Well, plenty to talk about. Um, we'll get to a pretty monumental week in soccer, um, starting from only a few hours after we went off the air last week, and we'll get to that in due course. Also, the Six Nations was kicking off this week. Um, we'll look back on what was and look ahead at what's to come. But we're going to start in the same place that we did last week. We're going to start stateside and Super Bowl 55 in Tampa Bay. And it was won by Tampa Bay, uh, beating the Kansas City Chiefs surprisingly handily, I thought. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win their second Super Bowl. I think they might be the only team now to have a, a 100% record in Super Bowls, more than one. Uh, and it really was the story of Tom Brady, the guy who has the most generic name and the most generic look, but probably the least generic resume in the history of American football, Comer. Uh, yeah, that was definitely the big talking point coming out of uh, the game. I think if you're going to argue anyone apart from Tom Brady's the greatest player in the history of that sport, you just have to make so many excuses for someone like, say, Aaron Rodgers or Peyton Manning. It gets to a point where... You know, you can't really just go off that. I mean, Brady's, he's nothing left to prove. It's ridiculous. Sixth round draft pick. Everyone knows the story at this stage. Won six Super Bowls in New England. Was the epitome of consistency there. Then he goes to Tampa, I think, to kind of prove that he could do it elsewhere. He's just shown that he did that. And to be honest, um, Tampa had their doubters this year, including myself. I mean, they didn't win their division. I thought that they'd have to, they'd have to at least go to New Orleans en route to... Uh, the Super Bowl if they were to get there and they'd lost to New Orleans twice in the regular season, but then they beat them handedly in the postseason. They were a better team at Lambeau Field uh, two weeks ago. And then they were by far the better team Sunday um, uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. So, but this isn't just about Tom Brady. You know, there's a lot of reasons why this result happened. I thought that Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator for Tampa Bay, called an absolute great game. For a bit of background on Todd Bowles, he was the New York Jets head coach. He got fired after kind of a bad stint there. And then when Bruce Arians became Tampa Bay head coach, he brought Todd Bowles back um, because he had coached under him in Arizona. And I think that Todd Bowles right now has just put himself in uh, next year's talks for getting a head coaching job for a team that might be moving on for a head coach because of how well he called the game. There's a lot of good players on that defense, particularly Levante David and Devin White, I thought were absolutely outstanding two of the best linebackers in the NFL, and they both play in Tampa Bay. Um, and then from the Chiefs' side, I thought that the injuries on the offensive line absolutely killed them because that Tampa Bay path, uh, pass rush was absolutely ferocious, and they were just hounding Patrick Mahomes all game. And if you were watching it, you noticed that Mahomes was having to run for his life, I felt, on every single play. Yeah, he pulled off two of the most ridiculous throws I've ever seen a quarterback do, and neither of them were complete. So, like, this... Guy Patrick Mahomes, you know, this loss is not on him. He was he did absolutely everything he could and nothing was working, and that was not his fault. Um, you know, his receivers I don't think played particularly well, especially Tyree Kill. I thought had a very poor game. 
than then. But also that's more of a credit to Todd Bowles, the fact that he eliminated his factor from the game. And Travis Kelsey was kept in check. You know, he had his moments, but ultimately kept in check. So, you know, there's, of course, the story is about Tom Brady, but there's plenty of reasons why what happened Sunday happened. Yeah, it's mad to think where this Tampa Bay team is, came, came from. I don't think, um, sure, they had Tom Brady, but I think, I, I certainly thought it was going to take a while to get them settled in. Uh, this time last year, Rob Gronkowski was doing comedy storylines in WWE. And this time last year, Antonio Brown looked like he was going to go into a boxing match with Logan Paul. And now they've got their Super Bowl rings. I mean, I mean, I know it's Brady's seventh. I don't know how many Gronkowski has at this stage. Uh, but Brady, yeah, he was kind of... He, he, Brady's always going to be the story. Um, he threw... And this was a mad stat I found. He threw his first touchdown pass in a first quarter in a Super Bowl in his entire career. Only took him 10 goes. So fair play to him. <laughs> Uh, but I wonder where the books are going to go from here. Obviously, yes, they're champions, but is this something that they can sustain? I mean, it was the, th- the thought was after the Chiefs won last year that they were going to be the new dynasty, and they certainly proved that they're still near the top of the pecking order by getting to this point and being the favorites going into the game. But is this something that the books can sustain in your view? Um, well, to be fair in Tampa Bay, when you have a quarterback, head coach um, combination like they do and Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, it's probably a short-term deal, I think. Bruce Arians even said on, said on the stage after the game that, you know, he was asked, was he going to retire now that he finally has a ring as a head coach? And he said, hell no, I'm coming back next year for two, which, you know, I, I think that's a great attitude. I love the fact that Bruce Arians, you know, he wants to win. And, you know, so he's going to be back. I don't know how long this is going to last in Tampa Bay because as good as Bruce Arians and Tom Brady have proven to be together, which is kind of to the surprise of a lot of people, you know, they're both getting up there in age. Bruce Arians doesn't have long left as a head coach. He retired once in his career already and after a year out decided that he missed it too much and hence why he went to Tampa Bay. Meanwhile, Tom Brady's 43 and he had previously set the ceiling for himself at 45 and now because of how he's playing, he says he might even try to go beyond 45, which is crazy. So, you know, if he can go and do that, fair play to him. But the thing with age I've noticed in NFL quarterbacks, and I'm thinking about Drew Brees and Peyton Manning here in particular, is that it hits you like a ton of bricks. Peyton Manning, I think, was MVP one year, and then the following year he looked completely cooked and he decided to retire after that. Same with Drew Brees. Drew Brees had a consistent past few years, and then this year, same story as Peyton Manning, looked completely cooked. And um, he's probably going to retire in the offseason. So it's not something that's sustainable, I think, for the next, like it was in New England for Brady. You know, he's probably going to be at Tampa Bay for at least the next two, three years. See what happens after that. But yeah, so it's not going to be, they're not going to be the next dynasty, but it could very well be a very successful kind of, I put a cap of five-year spell for this team. Moving on from one egg ball-based sport to another, the Six Nations got underway this weekend and a disappointing uh, weekend from an Irish perspective, but that had a lot to do with the fact that we were playing with 14 men for a vast majority of the game. The the Peter Romani red card, I'm biased, I'm an Ireland fan, but I can see why they... Um, 
the referee made the decision to send him off, even if I didn't, you know, particularly agree with it. Um, and I think Ireland could have and probably would have won that game had that not happened. We had the chance to do it, uh, but the uh, replacement out half, Billy Burns, who came on for Johnny Sexton, he had the chance to to kick for touch while the clock was red and give us one last push at the Wales line. Unfortunately, he did uh, miss Judge's kick and put it over the end line and the referee called time on the game. And he got a, you know, a rake of abuse on social media, which I don't think is fair. I mean, yeah, he messed up in a crucial time and it was his first impression. But, you know, these things are going to happen. And I don't think you can, um, I don't think you can begrudge Wales the win because they've, they've had to work really hard to come back from um, where they were in the initial period without Warren Gatland. And the game really did turn on that red card. I mean, games often can turn on red cards. We saw when the, the Dublin footballers were going for five in a row, um, they had a man sent off just before half time. Uh, Johnny Cooper got sent off for persistently fouling David Clifford. And as a result of being a man down, they weren't able to to execute that surge that they normally do in the first uh, few minutes of the second half and just carry were able to stay in the game and nearly nick it. So we could go on and on about what ifs, but that red card, in my view, did cost Ireland the game. I, I don't know how, what you think, Crosby, but I, I feel like Ireland were quite unlucky. Yeah, well, like, of course, in any sport, you know, if you go man down, it's going to be a huge kind of turning point and it's going to completely skew, I guess, your entire game plan. Um, I didn't realise as well, he's actually apparently the first Irishman to ever get sent off in the Six Nations, which is probably not not an accolade that he want. Um, But, you know, certainly it was, it was a huge reason uh, kind of towards the loss. But there was a lot of sloppy errors from the Irish side, and like you talked about Billy Burns's attempt to kick for touch and he overshot it so you know you can you can pin the obviously the man advantage is huge but it just felt like you know sometimes there was just kind of schoolboy errors kind of uh happening all over the pitch for Ireland but that doesn't discredit Wales's um win like you, you can only beat what's in front of you really but uh the other kind of maybe well certainly a surprise result uh was Scotland being England uh, first time in 38 years Scotland have beaten them to win the Calcutta Cup um, and again it's kind of you know you don't want to take away too much from the team that won, you don't want to take away too much from Scotland's performance but all the focus is on England and I guess is it you know, kind of lacks, lacks some spark I think really and I guess the question is is this kind of a blip, is this a once off or could this be a sign of things to come for England? I don't know. I did not see this coming. I absolutely didn't. And um, looking at it, I didn't actually realise that it had been that long since uh, England won at Twickenham. And I was about to get out the, oh, but yeah, they won, but it wasn't very convincing. It's not really a sign of things to come. And I kind of do still believe that. But yeah, you have to, at least for the time being, put that put that aside because... Yeah, imagine being a 
a Scotland rugby fan and just going to Twickenham time after time and never winning. Of course, there was that insane game a couple of years ago where they were 31 points to nil down at half time, And then they came back and were leading 38-31, scored 38 points without reply in one of the best second half performances I've ever seen in the Six Nations. And then England got over the line when the clock was red and eked out a draw. And it it is a win that is deserved given what they've gone through at the hands of England. But as far as England goes, if is it a blip? It's it's kind of difficult to say. I mean, you never really know with Scotland. We always go into tournaments like this saying, oh, Scotland are capable of this. It's just a question of whether or not they show up. And more often than not, they don't show up. But this was one of the occasions um, that they did. And, you know, fair play to them. But England will be able to um, rebound from this. They've got Italy next week, which, you know, if they don't beat Italy, then something is very seriously wrong. You saw what France did to Italy, absolutely smashed them to bits. Uh so I don't think we're going to get the answers we want about England for a few weeks. We, they've got Italy, then I think is the rest week, and then they uh, they travel to Wales, and that'll be the acid test. I mean, I know um, I know the millennium without fans is different, but Wales Wales will have the bit between their teeth after beating Ireland, and um, if they can pull off a good performance against Scotland which I think they're very capable of, they will be a really formidable test for England. Yeah, it'd be an interesting watching just as well, quickly to go through the finals. Like you did mention it, the France-Italy game and the French absolutely sweeping the Italians uh, 50 to 10. But there's a lot of talk um, early, like before the tournament of the French kind of being favourites for it. But I mean, is this, is this really an indicator at all? Because I guess you could say it is only Italy. You can take something from it. I mean, we all knew that France were go- was going to win. Uh, I think the ease with which they swept them aside should be noticeable. Notable, excuse me. But we'll get a lot more questions um, when they play Ireland this week because there will be a backlash from Ireland. You have to expect it. They will be hurting from the fact that they lost the game. Uh, this weekend, they felt like they really should have won, um, and they they'll be up for it. They 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 don't fear France as they once did. I remember growing up and thinking France always beat Ireland. It was always the case when we were drawn with them in the same pool in the two thousand seven Rugby World Cup. I thought, oh well, the best we can get is second in that pool because we're not beating France. Uh, now, we didn't even get out of that pool because we lost to Argentina as well. But in the game in that World Cup, France kind of blew us away. We I don't think we even got any points on the board. Um, those days are long gone now. Uh, but France are making a resurgence. Uh, we did see that in autumn, and they certainly laid down a marker by blowing Italy away. But it's certainly the game of the weekend. And... I think it will tell us a lot about what's up going forward if um, 
France have a, a, an opportunity to really put daylight between the rest of the teams by um, by beating Ireland. They will very clearly have the initiative and Ireland will have a lot to think about if they don't, at the very least, put in a strong performance. Yeah, it'll be um, an interesting watch anyway. Um, moving on, there was, of course, soccer, as there always is, in the past week. And... Um, like you, like you mentioned at the start, present just a historic night. I think just after, like a few hours after we'd finished, my night being uh, Southampton nine nil. It's the second time uh, this had happened, so I've been beaten by that scoreline. But then United then went on to draw three all at Everton, and it was kind of two completely different um, performances. And it's just a question of what is with this United team. And do you think that maybe did they shy away from this supposed title challenge? First and foremost, poor, poor Southampton, because that you you can you can say what you want about the nine nil against Leicester. That was truly abysmal. But this nine nil really wasn't their fault. They were down to ten men within ninety seconds. They had a spate of injuries uh, throughout their squad, and then in the closing stages, they were down to nine. So. I think on a normal under normal circumstances, um, if they hadn't got that red card so early, United still would have beat them, and I still think they would have done it fairly comfortably. But this was this was an aberration. You can't put too much blame on Hasenhutl for this one. But then the Everton game, it just confirmed what We've we've talked about on the show before, Crosby, that United are the most Jekyll and Hyde football team that I think we've ever seen. They, how else can you explain that they absolutely smash a team to bits, and then they have a second half performance where they cough up their two goal lead in the first ten minutes, and then in the ver- with the very last kick of the game after they've got their lead back. Harry Maguire plays about four different lads on side with the last kick of the game, and they they contrive to lose it. Which I I don't think you'll get the Ollie out brigade with every sort of slip up that United have. Um, but I still think that we're we're second in the table for a reason. This is a good side, and I think he is for the most part a pretty good manager. He could um, not rely on, uh, you know, individual performances as much as he does. Uh, but I think United, for the most part, are are in a decent spot. They're just not in the same spot that City are. And as we saw on Sunday, Crosby, what a spot City are in. Yeah, it looks like it's... Um... City's title to lose really. They look a lot sturdier in terms of character and kind of spine of the team. Do you know, the Diaz and Stones in there, like it seems they have a nice structure for once. Um, and it, it looks a, a big difference as well is that they kind of look happy with just grinding out one and two nil results. Like they've done a lot of that this season, which is kind of slightly uncharacteristic for a Pep Guardiola side. Um, but it's a good sign for in terms of like challenging for a title that you can just kind of get through games but then they also have they have it in their locker to just turn it on and 
go four one up against Liverpool. And um I guess the only real criticism you could have of this this um this city team is that maybe if if it's still nil nil at half time they begin to look shaky like you saw that with Aston Villa and I think the same as with or it might have been nil nil but certainly with West Brom as well it kind of it was two kind of fortunate calls with offside that kind of got that opening goal and kind of eased their nerves but um they they certainly look like they, they look odds on favourites to go and do this my my real uh, wonder is could they even do it in Europe. And uh, what about Liverpool? Do you think? Um, I'll, actually, I'll bring Aiden in because uh, we haven't we haven't come to you yet, Aiden. Liverpool. I mean, Roy Keane was absolutely relishing kind of laying into them uh, on Sky Sports, but I think they are really sorely missing uh, Virgil Van Dijk at the back, and they kind of rectified that on deadline day by, by bringing a defender in on loan. But it does speak to the power of individuals. Vincent Company was another one. He he was. I I don't think City realized just how much they were going to miss him, and they they felt that last season. And I think it's one of the reasons why Liverpool were able to build such a massive lead so early on. But what, in your view, is going on with uh with Liverpool, Aiden? Um, it's definitely hard to put your finger on it. Pat, like obviously the. The injuries, especially defensively, have been really, um, you know, it's, it definitely hasn't helped them. And, you know, Van Dijk is their most important player. Uh, I think we knew that before he even got injured. And then um, when he got injured, then you can see, I think initially they did quite well without him. And then Gomez and Matip started uh, getting their injuries. Um, but um, I think even you see with their forwards now, they seem to have a, when they're going forward, um, they have a lot, lack of real lack of confidence. Um, they're not there. You can see they're not their usual selves. I think the last time we did see kind of Liverpool in their, um, at their um, sparkling best was against uh, Palace, I think, when they won 7-0. Um, I know they had a good win against West Ham a couple of weeks ago, but even then it was kind of shaky until kind of they got the couple of goals in the second half. And... Um, I know Jota is a big loss for them as well. He's obviously a, a brilliant player, but I think uh, I think one big thing is you know the last two or three seasons they've been performing at such a high standard. You know they've all these points tallies they've been getting in the league and um, obviously uh, getting to two Champions League finals. It takes a lot out of you for sure. And I think this squad, this Liverpool squad, even when they get Van Dijk and, and such back, you know they might need a refresh because I think players like Salah and Mane aren't getting any younger. Um, even though I still think they're they're quality players, I think they will look to move the likes of of Divock Origi on in the summer and and hopefully for them try to get a few um really good quality players. And I think that's one of the reasons why they didn't spend big in the January transfer window despite their injury worries. I mean, they went for the kind of budget options. Um, I think they've got a set the back in from Preston and the other one on loan. So I think they are holding back money for the summer. Um. I think they're going to do a big refresh of the squad. Um, and I think, you know, next season, they'll definitely be a force to be reckoned with. But I, this season, the second half of the season is going to be very difficult for them. I mean, looking at that table, they've got obviously Leicester, Chelsea now with uh, Tuchel coming in. Um, they look really good. Um, Everton even have two games in hand on them. So West Ham as well. Like, they're they're going to be in for a real battle, battle even to get top four. I think they will come good again. I think once they get players like Jota and even Matip back, 
or even I think Matthew could be out for the rest of the season. But I think they will come good eventually. But I think the title after Sunday definitely is is gone for them anyway. Uh, Liverpool kind of have it all to do now and they're not going to get the most um, welcome uh, opportunity to turn themselves around because they've got Leicester this weekend and Leicester are another team who have been kind of wobbling as of late. It's not been as high profile as um, United or Liverpool, but they have been dropping points steadily. They're drawing games where you'd probably expect them to win. They um, they drew with Wolves. And I know Wolves away isn't the easiest fixture, but those are the type of games if you're supposed, if you're going to be challenging for a top four or even the title, they should be winning. So this game, I think, Comer is going to be really interesting because you've got two teams who are not in the best position in terms of their recent results and performances but they're still in a relatively strong position as it relates to um, where they are in the table. So how do you see this one going? Uh, it's uh, Yeah, it's tough to tell when both teams are not playing well. The one thing I can tell from you know previous fixtures between these two, I'm thinking of St. Stephen's Day last season, and obviously the game at Anfield this year, is that Liverpool tend to dominate this fixture. Um, I hope that instead of playing two centre-mids at centre-back, they're going to be able to play Ben Davis and Kabak at centre-back. So hopefully, you know, you have two people there who aren't used to playing together. But, you know, it's you know, you're better off having two centre-backs there than two guys who aren't used to playing centre-back. And then at that, you can both Henderson and uh, Fabinho into midfield and whatnot. Um, meanwhile, for Leicester, I think that they've been really missing Jeremy Vardy these last few weeks. He hasn't been fully fit. Uh and you could kind of see that against Wolves at the weekend. I thought that it wasn't a great game. I turned it off, I think, at halftime to go and watch Ireland and Wales. But it was, um, yeah, they obviously lack his uh, clinical finishing when he's uh, not on the pitch. But then again, when you go back to the Leeds game, that doesn't excuse them conceding three goals to Leeds, which I thought they were just all around very poor. And now maybe his return boosts the, whole, the squad as a whole. But another thing about Jimmy Vardy is that in the last few fixtures against Liverpool, he's really not done a whole lot. I don't think he has a goal against Liverpool um, in over two seasons or something. I'm not entirely sure, but it's always a big talking point going in. You know, can Jamie Vardy exploit the Liverpool defence? And he never, he hasn't done it in a while. Now, of course, that could change, like I said, with a new centre-back pairing and perhaps a keeper who might be low on confidence after the weekend, which I thought was a bizarre thing from Alisson. But yeah, I think that um, both teams probably feel like they have to win it. What I will say about the top four race for Liverpool is that when you look at the teams under them, I'm looking at kind of West Ham, Spurs, Everton. I'm not sure if any of them are going to top Liverpool. You know, I don't see West Ham or Spurs doing it because they've gone up against Liverpool, both teams already twice this season, and they've beaten both. And I think that there's a bad kind of feeling around Spurs at the minute. There's just no optimism there. Mourinho looks miserable all the time and can't really see where it's going. West Ham, I don't know if they have the squad to maintain this, but it's been... Uh, you know, it's been decent from them. Um, but with Everton, you know, Everton and Liverpool, there's this thing, they haven't, uh, Everton haven't finished above Liverpool since 2005. So it's one of those where you kind of have to see it before uh, you believe it. But so, yeah, with Liverpool, I won't be too worried about them missing out on the top four just yet. But um, they have to be careful not to keep dropping too many points or that could happen. And I think Saturday will tell us a lot about whether this team will be okay or not. 
Yeah, and uh, I think as well, one another thing to take into consideration is that Leicester might not be as well rested because they're still in the FA Cup. Liverpool are not. And Leicester are playing on Wednesday in their fifth round game against uh, Brighton and Hove Albion. So, why did I say Brighton and Hove Albion? Just Brighton. Uh, so, yeah, Liverpool might have um, slightly fresher legs going into that game. Just some other games. Um, tonight, Burnley play Bournemouth and Man United are at home again against West Ham. Uh, tomorrow, Swansea against Man City. Everton Spurs, that should be a pretty interesting game. Uh, and then there's Wolves, Southampton, and on Thursday as well, you got Barnsley, Chelsea. Uh, but you, I mentioned Spurs there, and you mentioned Mourinho as well. Um, they do face a pretty stern test. I mean, City away is a, is a tough test at the best of times, but, you know, they're really on a roll right now. They've got at least about six, seven straight wins, City, and they're clearly establishing themselves as the team to beat. And I just wonder, Aiden, are Spurs ready? Can they? How can they best survive against a team that are really looking to be a juggernaut at the moment? Uh, yeah, just on Spurs, like they, um, we're definitely seeing um, from Mourinho anyway, um, kind of similar to what happened at United. You know, when things aren't going his way, he come, he, he sort of does look at that kind of miserable old man. Nearly, he's. I think even since he's come from back from Madrid, uh, did Mourinho that landed in England um, for a second spell after um, Madrid was just, he's just been kind of so miserable. He always feels like the media are out to get him, and um, he really like you can see the other night against Chelsea. I think it was was. Um, like the uh, it was really a, a shocking performance from Spurs, and even I mean Dyer made a a ter- horrendous challenge in the in the box, and the, uh, obviously Chelsea got a penalty out of it, and even Mourinho was coming out and saying, "Oh, it wasn't a penalty," and of course it was, and like he just I think he's kind of um gotten to the stage now where you know he's so set in his ways of playing this certain style of football, and I think he needs to kind of adapt and and change a bit. Or else, you know, Spurs will find themselves, you know, falling down the table even more. I think they had a great start to the season. Um, Son and Kane were on fire, and you know, they definitely had a bounce at the start of the season. But even I think Kane's injuries are a big worry for them because he, I believe, he let played that striker Vinicius. I think it was, and he just like, especially a young striker like him, um, very inexperienced in the Premier League. If you play that certain style of football, he's never going to get the ball, and he's just going to lose confidence in. Living off scraps, he's even the player players such as Deli Ali and and Gareth Bale, like he's leaving them on the bench and giving them little or no minutes of football. Um, and it's similar to what he did at United with players like Pogba and Martial and Luke Shaw. He just makes examples out of players, and I just I don't know how like Spurs are going to like they have Everton tomorrow. Um, and Everton are obviously okay; they're inconsistent, but. On their day, you know, the players they have, Calvert-Lewin can hurt anybody. Um, Richarlison, James Rodriguez, you know, if they um, turn up, the, the match is in Goodison as well. It's never an easy place to go. And uh, if if Spurs go out of the FA Cup um, and, you know, Jose could find himself under pressure because all of a sudden he's in a, a, a position where he needs to get in the top four. You know, the Spurs fans obviously 
want trophies. That's the main reason he was brought in there, was to win trophies. And if they go out of the FA Cup in the early rounds, he'll find himself under pressure. Uh, moving a little bit further down the table, it looks as though the relegation places are pretty nailed on. Um, West Brom and Fulham and Sheffield United, they are a fair few points off the pace in terms of the relegation battle. They're the only teams who haven't cracked 20 yet. Um, above them are Brighton and Newcastle, who haven't been terrific, but, you know, given the state of those teams, it looks like they probably, they'll probably be saved despite themselves. But I think it's slap bang in the middle of the table that I think could we find, we, we can find the most fascinating game in terms of the future of these two clubs. It's Leeds United versus Arsenal, 10th versus 11th. A more middle of the table game you couldn't find. But Neither of these teams would really have expected themselves to be at this stage, Crosby. Arsenal, obviously, expected to be, are, are expected to be much higher than they are. And Leeds, you could argue, are exceeding expectations. They were in for some criticism recently about, oh, yes, they play the most entertaining football in the league, but it's coming at the expense of points and results. They're, they seem to be... Uh, getting that under control. They were victorious last night against Crystal Palace. But I think if they can knock off Arsenal, they're playing them Sunday at half four. It, it, it's a massive feather in their cap. And it could be an indicator that Leeds are really going to be on the up and Arsenal, it just it would just establish further that the decline for them is really on. Yeah, it'll... Um... If if they were, if Leeds were to come away with three points, it certainly would be kind of a huge statement of intent for them. Because um, in the big games well, we've seen they maybe haven't been too spectacular like you saw what Manchester United did to them and stuff like that. But in terms of like the fans' expectations, I don't know how... I don't know, because there is a lot made of Marcelo Bielsa, obviously. And like, Johnny's this genius of football and he's revered by the likes of Guardiola and Pochettino. And clearly it's for good reason. So I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe 10th is certainly uh, maybe a little bit more higher than people were expecting them to make it. But I don't think it's um, that much of a shock that uh, he's gotten them to this point. Uh, with Arsenal, it is, it is like you said, it's like one team's going up, another's going down. They can't seem to catch a break at all at the moment. Uh, they lost to Villa 1-0 recently. And then if they had that, quite controversial loss to Wolves with David Luiz's questionable sending off and stuff like that. And I guess, we, I think we talked about this fixture earlier in the year before they played. And we talked about how, you know, it's kind of impossible to call with these two teams. It might be a bit more, it might have more of an indication now, but certainly back then, you know, you never know which Arsenal is going to turn up. And it's the same thing now. Like they could come out and just play Leeds off the park or, you could get that Arsenal side that turned up against Wolves and you have Leno rushing out of the box. And, like, I don't even know what he was trying to do against Wolves where he jumped up and let the ball hit his arm. It was kind of absurd. It's not really been a great few weeks for goalkeepers. Um, but uh, certainly with with Leeds, uh, yeah, he was... Bielsa was kind of uh, questioned on his methods earlier in the year and 
he, he do, it does seem a bit more in control. Like the 2-0 against Palace is quite good, particularly from a clean sheet standpoint, you know, to kind of just to knock and see concerning they're such a they're such an amazing team going forward, but at the back at times it is catastrophic. And I think you saw that with their um when they lost two one to Everton. Uh it was actually a really entertaining game. It was quite open in parts, but it felt like a kind of smash and grab job from Everton. They just got two goals. And particularly for one of them, Cavaloon was just in between two of the centre backs. And it's kind of it's schoolboy stuff at times. Um and Le- Leeds absolutely peppered the Everton goal for that entire second half. And there was Olsen pulled off a triple save at one point to keep a minute. But I, I don't know if Arsenal have that steeliness in them to be able to sit back and weather a storm and hold on to a one nil lead. Um so I definitely I definitely think Leeds look to be the favourites for this and for good reason, not just for how they play, but Patrick Bamford seems to be in a lot better form. He, there was questions of him as well as to whether or not he cut it in the Premier League and you know, he's he's putting goals away for them and even getting assists. He's surprisingly for kind of his size as well, he's actually quite a good technical player. So it, it really looks like everything is going Leeds United's way, but it certainly is an interesting kind of middle of the pack there because you have like Southampton down in 12th, you have Villa in ninth, and like Southampton up until recently were looking like one of the kind of dark horses of this league. Like they were looking, they were looking brilliant and Aston Villa have just, uh, they have certainly exceeded all expectations by just about staying in the league last year and now kind of on the cusp of pushing for European uh, qualification. I certainly think they could overtake Tottenham who are in eighth just ahead of them but I don't know if they can, they will, I don't know if they'll be able to catch Everton but they have, um, they've certainly exceeded expectations so it's definitely an interesting watch kind of in the middle of the of the table because it does look like the top and bottom of the league are kind of decided already. Last thing we'll touch on before we go, and I'll I'll bring this to you, Aiden. Uh we'll finally get to talk about Champions League matches um next week and previewing them because the last 16 of the Champions League is next week. But uh, it wouldn't be uh action replay if we didn't include a dash of COVID. Not that way. The German government have refused Liverpool permission to come into the country to play their first leg game against RB Leipzig um, because, well, understandably, I think the German government don't want anyone from other countries coming into the country. So I think it's been agreed that that first leg, RB Leipzig's home leg, will be taking place in Budapest. Uh, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on this, Aiden. How will this affect the game? How will it affect Liverpool? And also, how will it affect Leipzig, who are essentially surrendering home advantage? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a factor. I mean, uh, Leipzig are obviously great at home. I remember they uh, they turned over United on the you know that crucial match near the end where uh, they obviously knocked United out. Um, but I think. Yeah, it might it might suit Liverpool. I suppose that they're they're playing away. They might need to, you know, I don't know if it's a factor now, but like they've lost three straight three straight games at home. Um, so just even them getting out of Anfield, um, and um, you know, going to you know the first leg being away in Budapest, it's obviously not somewhere not a ground that the either team will know that well, and um, you know, I'd certainly think that. Uh, Liverpool 
will definitely have sort of a point to prove. And, you know, Leipzig will, will, will want to will see this as a big opportunity. They'll obviously have seen Liverpool's form and they've got great players as well that can hurt you as well. So it'll be fascinating to see uh, what happens. I, I think Liverpool, um, we will see a response from Liverpool. And I think even players like Thiago will, will suit this kind of game because he's obviously a, he played German football. He knows what Leipzig are like. He knows what the Champions League is like. He still, you can see, he's still adapting to the Premier League. So it will be interesting to see what happens. And this is obviously a big opportunity for Leipzig. They semi-finalists, I think, last year. Um, this will be an opportunity for them. They'll see it as, you know, getting to the quarterfinals and the latter stages again this season. Okay, so that's going to do it for this uh, edition of Action Replay. Next week on the show, we will be discussing all sorts. We'll be looking ahead to the Champions League. We'll be looking back on the Premier League and FA Cup that was, as well as uh, the Six Nations and whether or not Ireland can topple France. Uh, Aidan Crosby, Comer, as ever, thanks so much for your contributions. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Cheers, lads. Uh, Instagram and Twitter is on the screen right there. We're at DCFM Sport. Give us a follow if you haven't already. We'll be back right here next week. Twitch.tv slash DCFM. I've been Sean Breslin. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.